Force O'Neill, thanks for listening to my dad and his boyhood friend, Mr. Ron. All right, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 202 of the Ron and Don Show. He's uh, Ron and I'm Don. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Yeah, we are live from the Les Schwab Studios. Thanks to them for signing on for 2021. We are absolutely thrilled. And also, we're going to come hard charging into 2021. Uh, again, a great partnership with Windermere this year. And we are so appreciative of the dozens of deals. Uh, that we did for the Ron and Don Nation, who's really become our client base. So it doesn't matter whether you're north, south, east, or west. If you're within the sounds of our voice, chances are we can probably help you with your next real estate transaction. We put together a playbook. How can people get those? Yeah, just email me, ron at windermere.com. I'll send you the playbook for buyers or sellers. So in the last episode, unbeknownst to me, you had uh, formulated six questions. I don't know if we got to all six of them. We did. But we're going to turn the tables now. I have no questions prepared, but I'm going to, because <laughs> I didn't know we were doing it this in this way. Right. But I want to start off with a similar thing of you um, on question one, and that is... Uh, way back in the day, um, you really had the dream of being on the radio when your mother found out she had breast cancer and she sent all her children a box, a shoebox full of paperwork from their report cards and school projects as a kid. And you pulled out a letter from fifth grade or whatever and said, when I grew up, I want to be on the radio. And you were the one that asked me, Hey, you want to be on the radio? And I was Dumb enough to go, sure. Like, how hard could it be? <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, and then we did that uh, against all odds. Like, the story should never have worked the way that it worked, but it did. So, when that came to an end for you two years ago, I, th- it, it, and I've never asked you about this. It seems like we processed that in, in very different ways, just the way we're built, the way our minds are put together, our family histories, all the overlay of a lifetime, and just the way the stories that we tell ourselves. So what was the story that you were telling yourself, and how did, what were you thinking as that ended, and then two years ago in January, until it figured out, the, hey, I guess I'm doing something different. Yeah, don't drink. Do not drink, do not numb. I stopped drinking uh, in January 20th of 2018. I had a horrible breakup with a girlfriend. Uh, And it ended in a phone call. And it's on one of our episodes. Uh, You you can listen to that phone call as I talk about it. Now it's a year later. It's January 20 or it's January 10th. So I made a decision to stop drinking January 20th, 2018. I went on this journey of not drinking, self-discovery. I started therapy. I was very, very concerned about the father that I could become. And I saw myself in some ways turning into my dad. And there's not a lot of things that were modeled well for me by my father. I look back now, though, and I see that he was probably doing the best he could with the information that he had and the way that he was fathered. Cause he also didn't have a father. Um, 
And his dad died in a basement of a skyscraper, alone, homeless. And at least this is the family story I was told. I don't know if it's true. I never met my grandpa. I never knew him. Uh, and to this day, I do, I, I'm not in communication or have talked with anyone on the O'Neill side. None of my aunt, I had five aunts. I've never heard from any of them since I was a boy. Uh, I don't know anything about my cookie grandma passing away. I don't exactly know what happened to my dad and my father. Um, and so for my little boy, I didn't want to be that. Uh, so when this happened in Terrestrial Radio, it's a year later now. It's just short of a year later. It's January 10th. This story comes out in the paper. The Me Too movement is raging. And... What the radio station did not do is come out and say, hey, Ron Dunn didn't do anything. It's just they're expensive. And the radio model has changed. And we think we can go out and get the same ratings and the same revenue that we've generated from them without them. We think we can do that. We had new managers that were in place. uh, And what they found out is they couldn't do that. And all those managers have been let go and fired uh, as a result. And is there solace in that for me? No. Am I happy about that? I'm neutral. Did I see that coming for them? Of course I did. I came home when we were on the front page of the Seattle Times. Tens of thousands of people reached out to us on social media. Emails, coworkers, teachers, coaches. What happened? What happened? What happened? I went into my closet, which is just 20 feet from where you and I are standing. There's a big mirror in there. Uh, There's a stool. It's a stool that I'm sitting on right now. And I would go and sit in front of that mirror, and I would talk to myself. Uh, I would pray. I would do affirmations. I would get on my knees. I tape things, pictures, um, letters, things I had journaled for over a year. I took all my journals in there with me uh, because when you decide to go alcohol-free, it's a, it, it is it is very, very difficult when you've been an everyday drinker like I had become. And I didn't start drinking until I was 25. My drinking really accelerated when I lived in New Orleans. And then I became a lonely drinker uh, when the pressures of being a single dad and being at that radio station uh, just became so intense. I didn't write anyone back. I didn't return any phone calls. I didn't talk to anyone. I pushed everyone away, and I just went in that closet. What saved me is I no longer could afford a nanny, so I would go, and pick my son up. And that was just my North Star every day. Driving to his elementary school and just saying, you know what? You got to get through this minute by minute, hour by hour. And I just knew at three o'clock every day, there was a little boy that needed me. Uh, so in, in, in my recovery journey, Uh, I didn't drink. I looked in that mirror 
And someone had told me once, and it's really true. When you're, when, when you're out drinking to the degree that I was, to numb the pain that you feel, what recovery does when you stop is it puts a mirror right in front of you. And you stop and you start looking in that mirror. You see things you don't like. You see things that scare the F out of you. You also see some really good things. And you start to see that you're not your dad and that you're not your father and that you control your story. I stayed in therapy. That little boy rescued me again. Just by having that responsibility, Ron, because if I didn't have that responsibility, I, I don't know what would have happened in, in that closet. And I stayed in, in that closet for months. And then you and I had talked and we said, what are we going to do with the Ron and Don show? We said, let's do five episodes. Explain our side of the story of what happened at Cairo. So it's on the record. And the only reason I wanted to do that is because I wanted to be on the record for my little boy. So one day he could listen to that tape and say, okay. My dad was in the front page of the Seattle Times. This was during the Me Too movement. And there were people that were fired from Cairo as a result of the Me Too movement. And I'm not going to say who they are. Uh, but they were. And we were not. Um, it was a financial decision. So for me, a couple months later, I decided to come out of that closet. I decided to become a real estate agent. Um, and you know me, when I decided to do something, I'd do it. I did all my studying and went and got my license in about 11 days. It was pretty fast. And then uh, I called you and I said, hey, do you want to go on this journey with me? And that's when we decided. We love real estate. This is something we're good at. Let's go learn the contractual side of the business. And I'm really proud of myself that I went over two years without having a drink. And then during this pandemic, uh, there were six weeks where I drank during the pandemic. And you know what happens is when you go back to drinking to numb the pain that you feel is the mirror that you were introduced to when you stopped drinking. The mirror doesn't go away. The mirror is now there forever. And so you're sitting there drinking, but you're looking in that mirror. And I knew in that moment um, that that six-week relapse was important. That was part of it. It's part of my recovery. I'm grateful for it. I'm thankful for it. And I'm grateful and thankful to be alive and to be on that path today. Hmm. Thanks for sharing that. There's a lot of stuff in there I didn't know. This question has been asked, my follow-up to that, I know at least a hundred times to you, uh, but I, I want to hear your answer because I've never asked it to you. If you got a phone call, and you may have gotten this phone call, if you got a phone call today that said, Don, we want you back at Cairo, same day part, same money, uh, we were wrong, we shouldn't have gotten rid of you, um, what would you say? Now, there have certainly been people in the, in the building that have reached out to me when the show that came in after us failed. Uh, there's a show that's in there now that actually you and I put together. You put Tom on the radio. I put, I put John on the radio. 
they are a great team. Uh, I've tuned in and I really like them together. Uh, and one of the reasons I heard, and John Curley's never told me this, but I heard from someone else, the reason he didn't initially take that job is because he said, hey, Don helped me get a job here and I'm not going to go in and sit in that seat. So I'm glad he sits in that seat. Um, I'm glad that Tom is on the radio later in life. And I've shared this before. He should have been on the radio a long time ago. I'm glad that they hired an African-American to be on Cairo. I am glad that there is a woman now that is running Bonneville. Uh, Kathy, who you and I work for and work with decades ago when we worked in San Francisco. So even though the Mormon church owns Bonneville, I have to say they're still one of the finest organizations I ever worked for, even though they fired me. Um, And I see them taking steps to do better because it was all male dominated. They put Ursula on the air. And instead of saying, hey, Ursula, we want you to do the news. It's like, hey, Ursula, you've been here a long, long time as a woman. And as a woman with brown skin, we're going to pair you up with a pretty great guy that has black skin. And we're going to put together a radio show and we want to know your opinions. We don't want you to just sit in some anchor tower and come out and report the news and then disappear. And then a bunch of older white men uh, get to talk. I am relieved I don't work there anymore. Absolutely relieved. I wish everyone there the best. I stay in touch with a lot of people. I've gone running with the current program director with Mike. And I think Mike is the right man for that job. I think Kathy is the right person for the job. And I'm glad to see uh, where there were opportunities on, the, on these other shows to get, see, to get some other folks in there that aren't 50-year-old white males uh, that have opinions and insight too. So... I am so happy to be on this road. Um, we had a job offer, for instance, in Boston. This is my home. Uh, when I moved, when I was a little boy, it was very traumatic. And my son, I, 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 this, this is our home. This is where we're staying. This is, this is Custer's last stand for me. And, and now we're doing something together. Uh, that has served us very well because we've been able to take this podcast, stay in touch with the people we love and care about. They get to stay in touch with us. We're not limited by 15 and 16 minute blocks of commercials. Uh, and we still get the broadcast and then we get to do something else we love to do, which is real estate. So, all right. Some more questions straight ahead on uh, getting to know Don as the year ends. <laughs> yeah. This has uh, been a lot of fun for me. So we'll be right back uh, right after this. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. I had grown to trust the image of Ron and Don, you know, doing their their advocacy for all the charities and stuff that they do. And I thought, well, they seem like good guys. Let's go for it. When I uh, decided to put my home on the market, it was a natural for me to choose them to list the property. Ron and Don proposed a sit-down, so they came over to our house. They came super prepared, and they came more in learning mode, right, and what was important to each of us. When we first sat down, they showed me what property was selling for in my neighborhood. They had several suggestions on, you know, when we should go on the market, what we needed to do to get ready to go on the market. 
They were precise and clear. They managed our expectations well. If Don saw, you know, a risk or an area of concern he wanted us to be aware of, they just they just did a superb job. And they seemed personally interested in the houses we would tour. I think both of them said at some point when we were apologizing at how many houses we looked at, said, we love looking at houses. They didn't hesitate to jump in and make this the house for us. They do have a way of making you feel like they're your only client. <laughs> That's super important to me. I don't think we'd have this house if, if it hadn't been for Ron and Don. I think I was just so impressed with the quality of the work that they did. We had multiple offers, $50,000 more than the asking price. He had no contingencies, so I jumped on that one. It was the best case scenario. We couldn't have done better. It couldn't have been a better experience. The buying process was wonderful and the selling process felt like we were their most important project. I couldn't be happier with the experience we had. I can't wait to do another deal with them. It was great. It was awesome. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. People ask me, how do you put up with these two? My answer, good snacks and video games. Welcome back to the Ron and Don Show, episode 202, live from the Les Schwab Studios. Uh, this was uh, Don's idea to do some episodes at the end of 2020 that just sort of uh, take stock, some questions that uh, we've always wanted to ask each other. I've, I've really been enjoying the last episode and this episode. So, Don, what for you was the biggest challenge for reinventing yourself as a single dad uh, that had a, a successful broadcast career that you know you were nationally recognized in the in the trade publications as an influencer in broadcasting and that was all gone in the blink of an eye uh, what was the most challenging thing or most frustrating thing for you reinventing yourself mm. I think just deciding if if, if I had the confidence and, and I know that you like just so I get it right, when, when in poker you say you double down, what does that mean? What does it mean to double down? That's a blackjack thing. That just means that you put in the twice amount of money. Uh, poker would be all in. If you're confident, you put all your money in the middle. Yeah. When, when, when we weren't resigned to Interestor Radio, I had a number of big things going on in a number of projects in real estate. And, and then also, I had some Airbnbs that were happening. And when the pandemic happened, I had people contact me and, and, and they said, Hey, we would like out of our contract. And with Airbnb, you can, you can pick three different lanes of the contracts that you select people that you're hosting. And my lane was a very firm lane. If you sign up and you cancel, I take most of your money, not all, but I take most of your money. So during the pandemic, Airbnb, the reason why they were in such a jam is because there was a lot of hosts out there like me. We could have just taken the money. Uh, and so Airbnb contacted us and said, hey, would you be willing to take a portion of the money contractually? And I talked to one of my partners and I just said, we can't take any of this money. We have to give all the money back, all the prepaids uh, for all the people that are going to come 
and stay. So if you have an Airbnb, what a lot of people do in January, like you're getting ready to plan, you're, you're going to go with your brother and you guys are going to plan this trip to Italy and you're going to do that over Christmas. So then probably in January, you're going to start booking Airbnbs. That's what happened during COVID. During COVID, January, February, in fact, I was in Maui with my son and, and my business partner who has a home there. We were talking about our Airbnb business and the fact that we uh, already had $180,000 on the books for the summer. In the middle of the pandemic, I started, initially I thought, okay, well, if Airbnb is willing to pay us a percentage and take the loss, and it doesn't cost anyone on the other end any money, then, then let's pursue that. And what I found out is it was still going to cost someone money on the other end of this transaction. People started writing and telling me about their stories, the reason why they were coming to stay in this home, the reason why they were coming to Seattle. And it had to do with babies being born. It had to do with uh, people that had cancer that were coming to the University of Washington, uh, people that were coming to jump on a cruise and take a family cruise up to Alaska, people that were involved in the tech industry, uh, people that were coming to a final memorial for someone, all kinds of different reasons. I no longer had money coming in from the radio station. We started to rebuild our careers in real estate. And it started to go well, and then boom, the pandemic happens. In fact, you and I sold a home on the day that the shelter-in-place order was given. Through the course of the pandemic, I had gone to my partner and I said, hey, I think we need to forgive everyone down to the penny. And if we get money back from Airbnb, great, and so be it. So I wrote Airbnb. I told them that this is what we're doing. I lost that $180,000 or we lost, my partner and I did. And then finally, months later, did I show you the check? No. Did I ever tell you about the check? No. I almost took a picture of the check and and I put it online, but I didn't think that that would serve Airbnb very well. Because in a lot of ways, they've they've been great partners. And they were ready to hit their IPO. And they didn't, you know, they didn't see this coming like everyone else. So this really wrecked the room and wrecked their business. I had a computer print out a check and send it to me, and it thanked me for what I did during COVID, which is still happening. It thanked me for allowing people out of all these contracts. And they said, we want to be a part of your business as a host, and thank you for being a super host, which I am. Uh, And I won't go into what that means, but it's important to the algorithm to get business to be a super host. And there's significant things that you have to do and perform and a lot more money that you have to spend to present your property. And... They sent me a check run for $7.61. So I didn't lose $180,000. It's $180,000, but I got $7.61 back. The hardest thing was in that moment, uh, in going back to even when we left left our jobs at Terrestrial Radio, I went and emptied my bank account. I went out and invested in six other homes. These homes are not turnkey homes. They're not a home that you would live in. Uh, And I started working my ass off along with my partners to to fix these homes, to work on these homes, and to get these homes back online. So when COVID subsides, hopefully my Airbnb business uh, returns. I downsized. I have a little bunker my son and I used to live in. 
This time last year, I was living in that bunker below the house that we're standing in. And this is when I thought I had COVID. I walked him on Christmas Eve over to uh, a family member's house. Walking back, I got very sick. For eight days, I had cold, cold sweats, just everything they talk about during COVID. I'm down below in the basement of my home. My son and I, after we left the radio station, were down there living for a year. The idea was to make enough money in real estate and move back up. Didn't know what was going to happen in in real estate. So I'm down there Christmas of last year. This would be uh, Christmas 2019. The people that rented the house that we're in, because this was an Airbnb, pulled up in a 1973 Ford, leaking water and, and transmission fluid and oil all over my driveway. They backed in a horse trailer in the pouring rain. They open up the horse trailer, and it's full of Christmas decorations. They walked into my house. They didn't tell me they were doing this, and I went back downstairs and just got in bed because I was so sick. They took out all my Christmas decorations. And in fact, the tree that you see sitting on the front porch was wrecked and ripped limb by limb. They took all their Christmas decorations. They brought them inside. I am downstairs feeling so sorry for myself. Because they have a violin. They, they turn my house into Walton's Mountain. I mean, you know, John Boy, I think, was staying in this room. And they were having such fun. You could smell the smells of the holidays, of what they were cooking. My son had, had gone away to be with another side of the family. So I was alone during this time. And I felt so sorry for myself in a couple days, for a couple days, smelling those holiday smells. And listening to them sing and play the violin and had a guitar. And, 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 and then a couple days later when it subsided, I just became very determined. I became very determined that in 2020 uh, that I would set sail and that I would set course in my personal business, in our personal business, and in my private life. And then... COVID happened. So what would you say, what would your advice be? You asked me this in the last episode. What would your advice be to someone in a similar boat that's making a wholesale change in their life? And there's a boatload of new skills they have to get. There's a boatload of new things they need to learn. It's overwhelming. Uh, you, you feel like you're an amateur, even though you've had a professional successful career. And all of a sudden you're at the bottom of the totem pole and in some ways you feel humiliated and everyone's kind of looking at you going, look at this guy. Yeah. What's his deal? What, what, what would your advice be to that person? The great thing for me is I have a, a partner in, the, in the, some of the homes that I buy. Uh, we buy these homes together. He, he doesn't need to renovate homes. He has another job. He's a brilliant CPA. And he had retired from renovating homes. When he saw these things happen and I'm like, hey, I'm going to double down on me. I'm going to take my life savings, everything, and I'm going to go out and buy these old crappy homes in really good neighborhoods that nobody wants to live in. These are not turnkey. One house is a hoarder. Another house is a hoarder. Another house is a hoarder. So that kind of gives you an idea. One of the houses I bought, someone was just using it for storage. It was just storage. And I didn't know much about the construction business other than the fact that I was interested in it. But I didn't grow up with a dad that, that taught me how to use tools. And I'm not a carpenter. You're a much better carpenter than I am. But I know that I'm an informal learner. 
And I know what my skill set is. I know what my leverage points are. I know I'm a very good negotiator. I know I'm a very good salesperson. I know I'm authentic when it comes to that. I also know that I'm not driven by money. I'm driven by relationship and making people happy. Uh, That's really my love languages uh, and the language of affirmation. For me, it was, and you talked about it uh, when I interviewed you in, in episode 201. Ryan Holiday has written a book called The Obstacle is the Way. What I did in my life going back to drinking is when I would see an obstacle, I didn't have the courage to go through it. I didn't have the bravery to do it. I didn't think I could. So I would turn around and run from that obstacle. Or I would try to go around the obstacle. And what you find out is that never works. So if the obstacle for you right now is the fact that you've lost your job, the fact that you lost a partner, because in the middle of all this, I had a partner that cheated on me and I lost a partner. Uh, It's really hard to be a, a, it is really hard to be your son or daughters or multiple children to be their teacher during a pandemic. Very, very hard to do that. But understand, whatever that obstacle is, the obstacle is the way. If you will take time every day and not numb out and not do unhealthy things to really center yourself, to take care of yourself, to put your phone down, to push away from screens, to pick up a journal, uh, to start reading, to start writing, to take a webinar, to start investing in you, it builds confidence. And as you build confidence and you build courage, it gives you the bravery to double down on yourself, to take your life savings and go out and buy a bunch of junky old homes and then to be surrounded by great humans like my friend Joe and Jennifer, who are my, my business partners. They, they, they have taught me the game of the Airbnb business, and they've also taught me the renovation business. So the person that I am sitting here right now, you know, I have a building project that's going on in my backyard. I decided in that bed last year, Christmas 2019, I'm going to build that day do. I'm going to move upstairs. I am never spending another Christmas in this blankety-blank basement again. I am taking my son upstairs. He has never had his own room. He has never put a nail in the wall. If you walk next door into his room, there's nails all over the wall. When we first walked in there, I said, son, here's your hammer. Here's your nails. Here's your tax. I've doubled down on me. I didn't tell him this. But until you graduate from high school, we were living in this house with our Christmas decorations and that damn tree downstairs has been taped together. <laughs> awesome. We're going to come back with uh, the final segment of the uh, Dawn episode. Thank you for that. Uh, more on the other side of this. If you find yourself dreaming about a new home, go from just a dream to the dream team. Schedule your time at ronanddonsitdown.com. All right, it's Ron and Don Show, episode 202. This is the final segment of this episode. If you need to reach out to me and get that playbook for a buyer or seller of real estate, just email me directly, ron at windermere.com. That's R-O-N at windermere.com. So there's been a great idea from Don. We have taken last show and this show and asked each other's questions, done some uh, interviews with each other. And so Don, for this final segment... Um, and this is going to be a little bit esoteric and let me know if the question doesn't make sense, but I thought that this would be interesting, especially for you. And again, this is interesting because these are things I've never had the opportunity to ask you before. 
I referenced in, in my episode that there are different fuels for our lives and some fuels burn hotter and cleaner than other fuels. And knowing you since the second grade, I think you've, uh, had different fuel sources at different stages of your life. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like in high school, uh, I think one of that, a big sense of fuel was, Hey, my dad left and I don't have any other choice. I gotta, I gotta just brute force do this thing. And that was a huge sense of that fuels your life in a lot of ways, uh, in your ambitions. And then maybe moving into adulthood, I think there was a phase where there were some insecurities that may have been your biggest fuel source. I'm, I'm from the outside looking in and, and correct me as I go, but you'll get my point. And so then you went into recovery and, and got a counselor. And I think your, your fuel source began to change a little bit, but there was a lot of soot and a lot of, uh, you know, gunk in the engine that needed to get blown out. So if I take this metaphor to drive it into the ground a little bit, Tell me what your fuel sources has been and, and have you changed to a different, cleaner burning fuel mm. now? Because I think a lot of people are going through that now where it's like, wow, this fuel that I've been burning is not, doesn't feel very good anymore. It's gotten me here, but it's really dirty. There's a lot of soot coming out. There's a lot of black smoke following me around. I, I need a cleaner burning fuel in my life. Yeah. You you know for for me it it was I I heard Will Smith uh, talk about this on an episode with Jada Pinkett Smith who is his wife and they do something called Red Table Talk Red Couch Talk it was at the Red Table that she revealed that she had had an affair he revealed that he knew that she had an affair but didn't want to go through a divorce because he'd already been through a divorce when he had his first child and that he would see himself. Uh, as a complete failure as a father and a husband if he went through the divorce. So they knew the story, and then the story got out publicly, and they decided to sit down and red table talk it out, which they did. Over Father's Day, they moved over to the couch, and it's Jada Pinka Smith, again, the, husband, the, the wife of Will Smith, and they were sitting down together, and you can just see not just their love for each other, but their friendship. And they could finish each other's sentences in the same way that you and I can because we've just been around each other uh, for so long. The thing that really helped me is his father. He used to call his father Daddy-O. His dad was in the military. And his dad raised Will basically saying this to him, that, hey, it is just not your time in school that's the classroom. Your classroom is 24-7. And my job is to be the teacher. And Will Smith leaned into that. And he learned a lot from his father by his father being a teacher. But as also, his father was abusive to his mother. Daddy-O was abusive to his mom. In fact, he'd gone hands-on. For me, what I had done with my dad is I had taken all the good things about my father and because of his exit strategy in my life and completely disappearing, completely disappearing, Forging documents, we had to sell our homes, sell our cars. I had a, uh, everything. I, re- I remember walking out to the driveway and our truck that our family had was taken. Uh, and I had left some things in the truck 
And, and the guy representing the bank came and took the truck and my stuff was inside. And I remember telling that to my mom and having to go down and try to get my stuff out of this, out of this truck. And, and what happened for me is the anger that I felt towards my father. And then also the fear, the fear of becoming him. The fear of abandoning a child that I had out of wedlock. Fear. Fear became my source as far as being a a dad and a father. And then feeling all this pressure and no longer drinking like we did in New Orleans for fun, but drinking because of the pressure and drinking alone. Um, In a way, alcohol became a, a fuel source for me to numb. But then you wake up the next day and you have to face the same problems. They're compounded by the fact that now you have a hangover. And now somehow, mentally, you have to get through the day. This is what I've learned through this process of of recovery, of being alcohol-free. I'm not my father. There were some really good things about my dad, which my son is now asking me about his grandfather, who he'll never meet. I am kind of the gatekeeper of that information in the same way that Will Smith is the gatekeeper about the way that his kids see daddy-o, right? And Will Smith was able to do something that I was never able to do. He was able to take the good things about his dad as a father and apply those and use those in his own life as far as being a dad. And then he took that abusive side and said, never, never. That is gross. That is disgusting. That's horrible. That's terrible. But when his dad died, he still loved daddy And he can still explain that today. So for me, I don't have a lot of feelings about my dad. But I do know that it created a lot of fear for me. And when you're full of fear, there's no room for courage. When you're full of fear, there's no room to be brave. When you are motivated by fear of becoming something, A lot of times you may end up becoming that thing because that's the story that you've written in your head and on your heart. So when you really take the time, and Brene Brown talks about this, of writing your own story, there's a lot of things we don't control, but there's a lot of things we do. When you think COVID-19 in 2020, there's still a lot of things that, that you control, even though there's a raging pandemic going on. And for me, the driver now has become the fact that, you know what? I'm a pretty good dad. You know what? I am present for him. You know what? I am in this with him. And even though sometimes we do our homework from dark to dark, um, allowing myself to give myself credit and say, you know what? You've worked hard to get to this point. And we're 10 years in on with this little boy. I'm in it with him. Until the day I die, I'm going to be in it with him. And that's my fuel. We can't go back-to-back episodes where you're crying at the end. (laughs) Come on, man! It's the end of the year! (laughs) All right. Thank you for being vulnerable. And uh, I am glad that you are a part of my life. It's been... Uh, one of our crazy like there when we went through Katrina, I was like, that's gonna be the craziest year we've ever had together as friends. Yeah, uh, and I would put 2020 
up against that year. Because at least then we could go out to a restaurant. Right. Uh, so here's to hopefully some uh, non-crazy years where we just uh, can can uh, have a, a, the wind in our backs for maybe a year. But who knows? So that is episode 202. And then for 203, we're going to do like a best of, right? Yeah, you know, and I don't know what you think about. Uh, I think about in February. In fact, we were coming home on a plane uh, with my partner, Joe. I just talked about and my son. It was the first time that is the second time I'd ever been to Maui. The first time my son had ever been. And I wasn't even sure my son could swim. And we went swimming with the turtles. And it's where I learned about courage, bravery, and also something called black belt courage. And in fact, my son, my, in this episode saying something about black belt courage, it's from that episode. Uh, and that's one of the episodes or one of the segments that I would like to share, uh, coming up in the, in, in the best of anything off the, the, the top of your head as we think about the best of this year and some of the discussions that we have. I've got one of the biggest responses of when I shot myself in the hand with a three inch framing nail gun. <laughs> so maybe throw that one in there. That was a, that was a thing that happened this year. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, coming up on the best of as we head toward a happy new year, uh, episode two Oh three, we'll go swim with the turtles and we'll shoot Ron one more time in 2020 with a nail gun. Should be a lot of fun. You keep your head up. You keep your shoulders back. And we'll see you next time. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage. Ah! I'm not kidding. <laughs>